From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is The Week's Worst with Allen and Vadim. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Scott Walter, President of the Capital Research Center, and I'll moderate this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. This past Friday, March 24, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan withdrew his bill, the American Health Care Act of 2017, which was intended to repeal and replace Obamacare after he couldn't get sufficient support to pass it. The bill was attacked by moderate Republicans for supposedly causing too much loss of insurance coverage and raising costs, but it was ultimately killed because of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, which refused to vote for it. They were working with Senator Rand Paul, uh, who dubbed the bill Obamacare Light. Matthew, could you tell us broadly what your thoughts are on this bill's being pulled? I personally am delighted, Scott, so I'm so glad you asked me that. This was a terrible bill. It was a train wreck from the beginning. It uh, demonstrated that the powers that be in Washington, the establishment, uh, including the establishment uh, within the Republican Party, which does exist no matter what George Will has to say about it, never wanted to rip Obamacare out by its roots. They wanted to keep it there in place. Uh, and so the bill, the Ryan Care bill, Rhino Care, whatever you'd like to call it, Trump Care, did not uh, shake the foundation of Obamacare. It left it there in place while changing a few things around the margins, I guess ostensibly um, to make it more palatable, to make it uh, last longer. Establishment Republicans, or rhinos, uh, wanted to keep it in place because they wanted a villain to run against in perpetuity. Uh, and it's been very successful as a villain, as a whipping boy, for the past seven years, helping Republicans win unprecedented electoral victories uh, in Congress uh, and reducing the Democratic Party uh, to its lowest point since 1920, at least, depending on how you slice up the um, the figures. So they wanted to keep the swamp here, wanted to keep it swampy, and for the time being, it's going to remain swampy, and I can only hope that um, those who truly want to um, get rid of Obamacare, uh, repeal and repeal, get around to doing it. And we, I can only hope that President Trump uh, takes his lump, lumps and learns from his mistakes, uh, though I'm not entirely certain that that is, is happening right well, now. Well, speaking of the president, uh, Steve, uh, President Trump supported this legislation as well, and not just in a little way, but in a very big way. Uh, and a lot of people would say that, look, it sounds like, you know, this is what he was talking about on the campaign trail when he said, you know, look, the government uh, will probably have to pay for a lot of health care. Uh, wasn't this just Trump following through on his promises? Well, the problem is you have a a, a system, Obamacare, which was designed to collapse. Uh, you know, remember, remember, you have to think back to how this thing got passed. Uh, remember that it had uh, passed the Senate without a single vote to spare. Uh, and then the Democrats lost a Senate seat. 
which was the, the Scott Brown election in Massachusetts for the seat that had been held by Teddy Kennedy. So there was a problem, which is they no longer had the votes to pass this thing. And uh, they uh, responded by taking this half-finished bunch of gobbledygook. It was, you know, I, I, I once characterized it uh, as uh, a bunch of lobbyists uh, writing down what they wanted on, on little index cards and throwing it in a big fishbowl. I'm not saying that happened literally, uh, but that that's uh, essentially how this thing was put together. And then they would fix it later because they could pass it through the House uh, and then uh, it would go back to the Senate. And at that point, they could get together in conference and they could work out all these inconsistencies and aspects of Obamacare that made literally no sense. Uh, nobody in the right mind would have thought this thing would work. And uh, but they were stuck because now they couldn't put it back through the Senate. They had to pass it as is, as it was at that point. So it's just a mess. It's not it's not even a, you know, this twenty seven hundred page bill uh, that uh, Nancy Pelosi famously said they'd have to pass it to find out what, what was in it. Uh, is uh, was never intended to be actual legislation. And so then they tried to fix it by having the Obama administration simply uh, uh, fix the, you know, not enforce parts of it and add parts that weren't in there uh, originally. And while they were saying that Obamacare was the law of the land, they were making it up as they went along. So now you have Donald Trump, he runs for president, and he promises to get us out of that mess. Uh, And he talks about repealing and replacing. Uh, The replacing part comes that, Uh, in that there are some people, a small number of people, who actually do benefit from some program uh, like this, that is, people with pre-existing conditions. I say that as someone who has a pre-existing condition. I had so-called terminal cancer many years ago, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and that affects my ability to get insurance. Uh, So I appreciate that. I have many friends and associates who are in situations where they need help. But really, when you when you think about it, it's a small percentage of the population. Uh, it's only about three percent of the population that has hard time getting insurance because of pre-existing condition. Remember that poor people are already covered by Medicaid, and and uh, older people are already covered by Medicare. So out of the remaining group, it's about three percent of the population. And you could have a program that dealt with them. So if you had something that got rid of Obamacare, and then took care of the three percent. Um, that would uh, that would solve the problems for most people in this country, uh, but that's too simple. And this is a bill written by the insurance companies to benefit the insurance companies. The bailout from taxpayers is projected to be uh, twelve thousand dollars per family uh, over a course of ten years to ins- to insurance companies, uh, and they are not going to let you have a simple uh, repeal and replace. And that's the problem the president was stuck with. Well, Matthew, uh, the bill did certainly keep uh, aspects of Obamacare that are really popular, like uh, mandating the coverage for pre-existing conditions, which Steve just mentioned, and allowing um, uh, young people to stay on their parents' health care through age 26. Um, Why do you think it was a good idea to fight those things? I mean, do you want to leave those with pre-existing conditions on the street to die? Uh, Yes, I do, actually. (laughs) No, not seriously. Um, uh, in my role as a supervillain on the internet, I had to say that. Um, These are bad provisions that uh, especially, it's harder for me to make the argument about the under, about the the, the kids staying on their parents' policies until they're 26. Um, uh, But the pre-existing conditions ban, which is actually a ban on insurers 
refusing coverage on the basis of pre-existing conditions. Um, that converts insurance into something other than insurance. It makes it into like a PPO, like a preferred provider organization, a prepackaged um, set of services uh, that you can draw upon, and it's not insurance. You know, it's never, you know, if you allow, if, if you use the, the old um, standby uh, uh, analogy, a fire if you allow a fire insurance policy to be written, to be underwritten, on a house that is already on fire, you're going to find that the insurer is uh, insolvent pretty quickly. Um, and that's why they have to allow uh, insurance companies to refuse to cover certain people. And then if society, if the government wants to find a way around that, then they can, as Steve was saying a moment ago, create a program to deal with people, uh, high-risk pools or, or what have you. Uh, but but it's not ins it's not insurance if you ban um, if you forbid insurers from declining coverage for pre-existing uh, pre conditions. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It gives everybody um, a limitless incentive to feed at the trough to to um, to to draw out services uh, from the insurance companies to draw out payments uh, without any any countervailing um, you know incentive to to keep costs down or to be financially responsible and, and let me say this the whole point of this and Steve can correct everything I just said no, that no, no, was wrong no, no, no. And, and, and let's make it clear when I talk about a program for the three percent that have pre-existing conditions, I'm talking about something that's on budget. So you know how much it costs, and it's it's there for everybody to see and debate about and so forth. When you stick it into the insurance system, the problem is you lose track. There is no way to know how much of my insurance is because I'm subsidizing someone with maybe a pre-existing condition that's worse than mine. Uh, or maybe, I mean, the, the, the cross-subsidies in this include uh, taking from young people and giving to old people. And so, so the young people are, if, if they buy insurance, they're paying like six times what they would pay uh, if there were a free market for insurance because young people don't need to spend as much on health care as older people, uh, men to women, uh, taking from people who don't want abortions and giving that to people who do want abortions, uh, uh, taking money from people in the suburbs and giving it to people in the cities. Uh, and so when you... What you end up with is essentially everybody, each person with his hand in somebody else's pocket, and then that person has his hand and her hand in somebody else's pocket and so on. And it's just, just a giant, imagine everybody in the country, uh, each person with their two hands in other people's pockets. Uh, it, it's, it's insane. And you can't, it's not an insurance business. It's insurance as a regulated utility. And remember that when it came to uh, electrical power, when it came to the phone company and other regulated utilities, that regulated utility model where a politically connected corporation gets to have guaranteed profits uh, and gets all their competition shut out, that's the model that probably kept uh, the phone company, the phone services and power services uh, technologically. It might have maybe 50 years behind. Uh, 
And that's what we're headed to, into with medical care. We're creating the insurance companies as a regulated utility. And then we're surprised that they spend so much money uh, trying to bribe politicians to get exactly what they want in there. Uh, and that's, that is the real mess uh, that we see with Obamacare. Really, the best system would just be to, it would be just be to sweep away almost all of the current health care regulations and just have fee-for-service. Good old-fashioned, you go to the doctor you pay a fee. That would drive prices down. But in the meantime, the thing that they could do, the, this, this single change that I think that would have the most um, positive effect would be to allow competition across state lines, because then you could buy your insurance from whatever state, from a company in whatever state offered you the best deal. It would also put uh, natural market pressure uh, on the states to drop all these mandates. Like, why on earth should a a a uh, uh, an elderly man or any man have to subsidize a single woman's maternity coverage? This this doesn't make any sense. Or why or, should or, a, a sixty year old woman who works behind the counter at McDonald's subsidize a twenty five year old woman who's going to be a millionaire? Right. And why should? And how about? Uh, what, how about a 30-year-old hermaphrodite? Why should that person get um, get you know free get get mandated coverage from some states? And you know we we chuckle, but it it really does exist. Um, uh, uh, sex reassignment surgery is mandated in some states. Like it has to be covered under the insurance policies. Why should anybody have to pay for that other than? The person who wants it, and but the, you know the answer, which is that if you uh, ban the sale, of, the answer is you're racist. <laughs> the answer is if you ban the sale of health insurance across state lines, it's a great scam because then in a given state, uh, the chiropractors all get together and they give money to the politicians, and the and the politicians in that state decide to mandate chiropractic as part of the uh, as part of the coverage. Some other place it might be oh I don't know hair transplants. It might be. Uh, uh, holistic care. Remember that Obamacare, I love how the Obama people talk about how they're for science, but there, there's uh, aromatherapy, there's holistic medicine, uh, there's acupuncture uh, covered under uh, Obamacare. Uh, there are all sorts of things that um, uh, that you know you have in certain areas that are mandated in certain areas and not in others. And and if you had a nationwide market, then there would be a race to provide the most affordable care. Gee, affordable wouldn't that be nice? The most affordable care rather than the care that had the most uh, mandates. And so politicians, pol- the politicians, particularly at the state level, they love. The idea that you can't sell health insurance across state lines because it allows them to uh, collect uh, basically bribes for having mandates or not having mandates. We really need to push the insurance companies out of health care altogether. That would be nice. Well, you know, they're, they're a big part of the problem here. Remember that the insurance companies, you know, people think of them as some sort of free market thing. Uh, the insurance companies during the Obamacare debate were, were the, the top spokesman was a woman named Karen Ignani. And uh, this was America's Health Insurance Plans, or AHIP. And remember that the health insurers had been against Hillary Care. I was involved in that fight, and that's one of the reasons we won, is that they had like the commercial with the two, you know, the couple sitting there at the table talking about how they'd be hurt by this plan. And they, they find it, well, they switched sides. 
uh, on Obamacare. Surprise, surprise. Because whereas the Hillary plan had been based largely on an HMO model, uh, the big difference was that Obamacare was based on uh, benefiting the insurance companies. And the woman who was in charge of this was Karen Ignani. Now, who is she? She started her career working for Walter Ruther's Committee of 100 for National Health Insurance. Uh, she was the director, I believe, of health policy for the AFL-CIO, which supported socialized medicine, as people on my side would call it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I remember there was one scene where there was some congressional hearing and uh, one of the people who was uh, promoting Obamacare was walked up to Karen Ignani and some reporter was like breathless. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen when the head of the insurance companies uh, meets the person who's promoting Obamacare? Well, what happened was they hugged each other uh, and they did because they were on the same side. Aww, Aww. How touching. And now we're talking again about this. Uh, you know, one of the things that would be most uh, beneficial would be to make sure. And this has been suggested by Ted Cruz and others, uh, uh, Marco Rubio particularly, Marco Rubio particularly, that um, we just make sure the insurance companies don't get to rip the rest of us off in this process and then see what they see what they think about it. Well, now, uh, Matthew, of course, a lot of people say that even if the bill was flawed that was pulled this uh, past week, it was still better than Obamacare as it was handed down to us from the last president. So aren't you just letting the perfect be the enemy of the good? Okay, I'll treat that as a serious question, just for sake of argument. Uh, no, it's, it's in some ways, it's even worse. It, 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 see, it's not just the policy impact, it's also the political impact. It makes the Republicans take ownership of Obamacare, and it forever taints their brand. And so the, the impact, quite apart from the real-life impact on, on real-life human, human beings, is that um, it just it, it entrenches it even further, because then it has the uh, imprimatur of both parties. And uh, that can't be good, and that can't help in, in efforts to future efforts to reform the thing. It just will make it uh, uh, more and more difficult. Uh, like, for example, freezing, it, it, it left in the, um, the ban on, um, on insurers refusing to cover pre-existing conditions. And that's, that, that makes it out like it's, like it's normal. We're, we're having like a generation of kids now grow up, like our interns here in, at Capital Research Center, who have no experience prior to the Obama era. So they think the way things are right now, with big government running everything, they think that this is normal and this is the way things are supposed to be. So, so it has ramifications beyond um, uh, how it affects people's pocketbooks and, and how they live their daily lives. People have somehow gotten this idea that insurance is supposed to protect you uh, compared to other people. Uh, when in fact insurance is supposed to protect you against your own risks. Uh, the example would be back in the early days of the, the insurance uh, business, you would have, let's say you had four ships that were going to be crossing the Atlantic Ocean, which was very uh, hazardous. And you might end up on average with maybe one of those four ships not making it back. You'd make a lot of money off those other three, but that one ship would uh, would sink. And well, what if instead of one, it's uh, you lost two ships or three ships, you'd be out of business. So what you would do is you would calculate the chance 
of uh, of losing, you know, one, two, three, or all four ships. You go to the insurance company, they do the calculation, and then you'd get together and you'd come up with an insurance contract where you would essentially give them part of your profits uh, from your uh, uh, shipping business. And then in return, they would insure you against a catastrophic loss, like if somehow all four of your ships disappeared uh, mid-Atlantic. And uh, so it evolved from that. And then uh, insurance companies were actually very important in uh, promoting safety. So, for example, if you had a factory and you didn't have uh, the right uh, fire alarms, you didn't have the smoke detectors or, or sprinklers, whatever it would be, the insurance company would say, well, we're not going to insure you unless you make sure that this is you know, up to snuff in terms of protecting your factory because if it burns down, we have to reimburse you for it. So the insurance companies provided a service as sort of the enforcers of safety standards. And the same thing with liability insurance and people uh, getting injured on the job, uh, the insurance companies would, uh, would force you to put in safety measures. Uh, and then, but we somehow got the idea over time that the insurance business was supposed to transfer costs from one person to the next. So that, uh, you know, if I, if I have $100,000 a year in medical bills, uh, well, gosh, it's only fair that this other person who has no medical bills or $200 a year in medical bills should have to pay more to benefit me. Well, there is a place, perhaps, for the government to do that. We don't want people starving, and we don't want people going completely without health care or uh, and you know, without housing. So we do have some income transfer uh, uh, in our government. Uh, we can argue from a libertarian standpoint uh, how far that should go or, or whether that should exist at all. But we do have that. So there is a, a an argument to be made for, for doing that at the government level, but you do it on a budget. You do it at the government level where it can be argued, it can be debated, people can vote on it, they can vote the politicians out if they don't like the policy. You don't do it through the insurance companies because there's no way you can ever trace the benefits, the rewards, the costs. Uh, well, that leads to a uh, another question, which is the next time uh, healthcare legislation comes up, because I dare say it's certain to come up before 2018, 2012, and the election, Steve, that you were just mentioning. Uh, the current reports in the news are that the White House Chief of Staff, uh, Rens Priebus, is going to try to get moderate Democrats on board for the next time that they bring up health care uh, and pretty much uh, ignore the Freedom Caucus, which was a problem this time. Uh, doesn't that mean that this is actually a setback for the Freedom Caucus? Well, it ain't going to happen. The, the Democrats have taken a hard line. They will not cooperate in any way with this president. Uh, I don't know who these moderate Democrats are. Most yeah, of them the, are gone. The, there are no moderate Yeah, uh, it's Democrats. very, very few. As, as Rince Prewash is going to find. Yeah, and so and, and, and they'll be primary. It's not even a question of what in their hearts. Well, gosh, they'll do it for the good of the country. They can't because their party is so hardcore. Uh, remember, these are the people that think uh, Donald Trump is a Russian spy because he was caught on blackmail tapes at the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow. And these are serious investigations. Oh, with, uh, and with the ladies peeing on the bed. Exactly. And they believe this. Yep. So, okay. So, so they're, they've, they're uh, you know, this is Trump uh, derangement syndrome, as uh, some people call it. Uh, they will not work 
uh, with Donald Trump. You will not have a, you know, oh, maybe one. I mean, people thought Manchin, uh, the senator from West Virginia, Democrat, people thought, well, maybe he'll come up. No, they're not going to have, if if they have one or two in the entire Congress, I'd be surprised. Uh, So that ain't going to happen. So you've got to get back with the Freedom Caucus. And it's fine for him to to bash him a little bit because, remember, he's got to run for re-election and they'll accuse him being some right-winger. And this gives the president the opportunity to say, yeah, but look, look, I, I criticize the right-wingers. You know, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a moderate kind of guy. You know, I, I work with everybody. Um, but as a practical political matter, uh, it ain't going to happen because the Democrats know if, if they can just stop anything from happening, then uh, the, the process will proceed. People who w- were going to become doctors won't be doctors. Drugs that would have been developed won't be developed. Uh, clinics that would have opened hospitals. And remember, one part of Obamacare, believe it or not, was to shut down uh, the uh, physician-owned hospitals. Uh, they were, uh, I think at one point, this is years ago, I'm working from memory, but I think it was like 26 physician-owned hospitals, uh, construction was immediately canceled uh, at one point. And uh, so it's to keep out competition. And those things, you can't turn that around immediately. In fact, it will take years to recover from this. So they know if they do nothing, it'll just mosey on, and eventually it'll be part of the fabric of life, and we'll be used to it, and we'll be stuck with it. Like the Brits, who brag about their horrible healthcare system, but they don't have anything to compare it to. And they just know the nice people that work for the health service and uh, they think they're doing a great job. They don't realize that their life expectancy is affected and so on uh, because they don't know the alternative. Well, uh, Matthew, speaking of practical politics uh, and other legislation, um, the one thing that uh, the Ryan bill would have done is shaved a trillion dollars off of uh, the way Congress uh, does its accounting for the next 10 years. So in other words, it would have put put a trillion dollars over 10 years in savings on the table. And uh, what the Republicans wanted to do uh, after passing that bill was turn around and say, okay, now we've freed up money to make it easier for us to pass a wide-ranging tax reform. That just got a trillion dollars harder to do. Uh, so, uh, what about that ramification of pulling, uh, the Ryan Trump bill? Well, all of these projections tend to be lies in Washington. They're just made up numbers. So we don't know if it's true. You've still got, I don't think that was a change to baseline accounting. Uh, I've written about it before that Congress uses, uh, which, which is basically crackhead accounting. It assumes that if if a certain percentage of increase isn't obtained every year, that the budget is actually being cut. Um, so I find the trillion dollars in, in so-called savings to be very difficult to believe uh, in the first place. And, uh, and as you suggested, the, uh, or as you may have hinted at, they're going to find, they're going to spend the money anyway. So... Um, you know, whenever they talk about cost savings in government, uh, it's it's very you have to take it with a large grain of salt. I just don't believe these um, these estimates. So the, the fact well, is, we're, we're we're stuck at around two percent growth. What that means is that uh, by the time my kids are my age, on average, uh, the economy will be about forty percent smaller than it would otherwise be. So you you've the the main uh, uh, 
problem that we face in this country is that the economy is just in the in the doldrums. It's moribund. Uh, we should have four percent growth. That, uh, and wh- why? Do, what does that mean? That means that you'll have one and a half times, one and two thirds as much wealth for the average person. Uh, by the time my kids are my age. That's all the difference in the world. That's the difference whether you're going to have Social Security uh, still in business, whether you're going to have Medicare and things like that still, you know, all these entitlements they talk about. These things all matter. What matters is the economic growth. And when you have something like Obamacare, which prevents businesses from expanding so they don't get hit with more mandates, which uh, costs money for businesses so they don't have money to hire people, uh, those are the kind of things that you need to be worried about. And, and, and Matthew's right. This, the uh, CBO, everybody, oh, we got to have what the CBO figures out. What, you know, they're going to score this thing. Well, they uh, uh, overestimated the number of people who would sign up for the exchanges uh, by what, 120 percent or something like that uh, by by 2015. Uh, it was uh, 10.3, and it actually was 24. Whatever the math is, do yep, it, it I can't do the math. Unicorns and fairy dust. Yeah, they just make this stuff up. And also, you have to understand the way people think in Washington is. All the money is rightfully theirs to spend. And if you make the money, uh, well, then you're just, you're, you can have it provisionally, but we want to we wanna take it from you uh, because we are the rightful owners. We're the rightful controllers of this. And that, and that every time they say something, like I heard yesterday on the George Stephanopoulos uh, Sunday morning show, where he said, uh, well, how are, how are we going to pay for these tax cuts? And I immediately said, wait a minute, you pay for tax increases. You don't pay for tax cuts. Oh, wait, you're seeing it from the perspective of the Washington politicians, not from the perspective of the person out there in the country. And that's how they think. Yeah, that's a tax expenditure. Please, Steve, use the right term. Yeah, exactly. And this is a scam. I was there when they came up with this. I was covering a National League of Cities convention back, oh gosh, 25 years ago or so. And Teddy Kennedy's people were there promoting that this is how you should change your rhetoric so that anything that uh, people are allowed to keep is a tax expenditure. And then that way, and, and you see that, by the way. Right, which assumes that the government owns all the money. Right, and and they're allowed to, think about how they use this, uh, this little trick. Uh, for example, uh, they have referred fundable tax credits, uh, such as the earned income tax credit. And then they increase that. Now, that's a welfare program because you're giving it to people who didn't pay taxes in the first place. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad to help, you know, give people that. I mean, that's we can have a well, debate some, about that. Some libertarians like at the Cato Institute say, as welfare programs go, it's one of the better ones. Right, right. I'm not, and I'm not saying it's necessarily one of the better. I'm just saying it's welfare. And yet the politicians get to count it as a tax cut. So when Barack Obama would run around talking about all the people he'd cut taxes on and all the tax cuts he'd handed out, he would include this. But it's a welfare increase. So once they can switch rhetorically so that so, you know the, the apples turn into oranges, uh, then uh, then you've lost the debate because... Uh, you know, it, 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 anytime you want to to uh, uh, reduce welfare spending, now you're increasing people's taxes automatically. It's insane. Well, do either of you uh, want to close out our discussion here with your own proposal of uh, what should be done to repeal and replace? Well, I'll say this. How about a system where you can um, have any insurance plan you want or not have insurance? Because the Constitution uh, says, and I, I know what John Roberts said, uh, but the Constitution actually says that they can't make you buy anything you don't want. Uh, that uh, and you you buy a, a health care plan. It can be any health care plan you want. It can cover A, B, and C, or it can cover C, D, and E, or any combination of things. And you get to go out there and buy it. And the government can't tell you what you can do or not do. 
Uh, and then for those that small number of people who have a problem like pre-existing condition who aren't otherwise covered because they're already under Medicaid, they're poor, or they're already under Medicare, they're older, uh, that small number of people, we have a separate program for those people. So they're taken care of. And, uh, and then otherwise, you let people buy uh, the health insurance that they want and get the benefits that they want. Well, to quote uh, one of my favorite lines from Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And it's said by Tim Blake Nelson. I'm with you fellers. <laughs> well, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you will please join us. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also follow us on social media. Uh, at Facebook, we are Capital Research Center, and our handle at uh, Twitter is at Capital Research. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadum. And I'm Scott Walter. Thanks for listening.